So Money episode 420, Life Coach Christine Hassler. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. So Money is brought to you today by Wealthfront. Wealthfront is the most tax-efficient, low-cost, hassle-free way to invest. Now, many of you I know are interested in simplifying your investment strategy. You want to reduce fees. You want to work with a service that you trust. And Wealthfront delivers. It builds and manages your personalized, globally diversified portfolio. To open an account, the minimum is just $500, and that gets you a periodically rebalanced, diversified portfolio of low-cost index funds. There are zero trading fees, zero hidden fees, and advisory fees that are just a fraction of traditional advisors. In fact, Wealthfront manages your first $10,000 for free. To learn more and sign up, visit wealthfront.com forward slash so money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi, and it's Motivation Monday. So I thought it would be really cool to have on Christine Hassler on the show. She is a life coach, best-selling author of multiple books, including Expectation Hangover, The 20-Something Manifesto, and 20-Something, 20-Everything. You know, I'm 36. Christine, I think, is around my age, and I relate a lot to her her experiences going through her 20s in Los Angeles. I was in New York working in very intense industries, getting burnt out, experiencing what some of us might call a quarter-life crisis. Been there, done that. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. And for her, her quarter-life crisis as an agent in Hollywood, believe it or not, at 25, she became a very powerful agent in Hollywood, was the turning point for her. It was the aha moment. It was the light bulb moment. It was everything. And she quit her job. And what followed was not immediate success, but more like a series of more pain and disaster. And it was only after that that she realized she had a bigger calling in life. And it was to be a speaker, a retreat facilitator, a spiritual psychologist, a life coach. Christine now hosts her own top rated podcast called Over It and On With It. And she believes that once we get out of our own way, we can show up to make the meaningful impact we are here to make. And I have to say, this was one of the most inspirational interviews I've ever done. I took a lot of notes. I think I walked away feeling I had a lot more clarity around some of my more underlying feelings, subconscious feelings about success and money and what it means to be fulfilled. I think you're going to like this interview a lot. It's a great way to kick off a new week. Here we go. Here is Christine Hassler. Christine Hassler, welcome to So Money. Uh, I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, you're background as a Hollywood agent at 25, then mm-hmm. transitioning to life coaching and now you have a podcast, you have best-selling books. I just, I want to dive right into your journey and, and starting with your time in Hollywood. Um, wh- how long ago was that? A little over a decade. Okay. Well, I started, well, I, I started when I was uh, right, fr- I graduated early. So I was barely 21 years old when oh I moved gosh. out here. So you were given a <laughs> lot of responsibility at that age in a high pressure environment. Tell me a little bit about your, kind of your day to day as at the, at the maybe at the peak of 
agenting and also the time when you decided to leave. But what was your life like back then? <laughs> like a different world, different. It feels totally like a different life. It was high pressure and and often toxic. Um, so for me, what really drove me to move out to Hollywood, and I think this is true for a lot of people, was massive insecurity that I compensated for by being extremely driven. And I had something to prove to the world, right? So I I had this ambition and this drive and really wanted to be I think I really wanted to be famous, but I, I didn't want to be an actress because there's just way too much rejection. And I knew that I could count on my brain. So I wanted to be more behind the scenes. And I, I never thought I was going to be an agent, but when you move out, everybody tells you, you've got to start at an agency. And I started right on an agent's desk, which normally doesn't happen. Usually you have to do something called the mail room and push mail carts around for a year before you get on a desk. Yeah. But I watch Entourage. I know how it works. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's very based in reality, I have to say. And. And uh, that I got basically Lloyd's position, if you watch Entourage, um, mm-hmm. right off the bat was working for the head of TV packaging and was working, oh my gosh, 12, 14 hour days, oh didn't really take lunch breaks. And I, you know, in that industry, the stress, the yelling is tolerated. It's sort of just part of the deal. And so I got used to a very, very high level of stress. And I thought that's just what work was like, like to be successful, like you just got yelled at and you had this high level of stress and you could treat people poorly. And as much as part of me knew that didn't have to be true, because I spent so much time in the industry, I I almost became like one of those people. I saw myself as I was working my way up and got promoted at a young age snapping at people, becoming more irritable. And because there was a lot of, I mean, there was a lot of sexual harassment that happened. I had this kind of wall that I developed around me. And even though I was making a ton of money and hanging out with celebrities and going to the Oscars and the Golden Globes and had this total beautiful dream life from the outside, inside I was miserable. I didn't like myself. I kept having to raise the bar, you know, once I get promoted, then I'll be happier. Once I get this client, then I'll like this job or once whatever enough was never enough. So there were two pivotal moments that got me to leave. One was I got this group of guys, a a TV deal and they were really talented, but unknown. I felt like I had discovered gold and the person I was working for made me attach an executive producer that I didn't want to attach. The network didn't want to attach, but he made me do it because he had seniority and it killed the show and it basically killed this guy's dreams. So that was like a knife in the heart. And then the other thing that happened is I was riding up the elevator one day with one of the senior level women and she was with her assistant looking at her phone and she said, oh, my daughter said her first word. And the assistant said, what was it? And she said, it was Ola because she spends more time with the nanny. Oh, well. And I was just like, oh, yikes. And those two Great that she's learning Spanish though. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. They're like, way to see the silver lining in that one. But it was enough of a, um, those two things were enough of a sign for me to, to leave. And I wish I could say I left and it was this awesome leap of faith and I discovered my passion and everything turned up roses, but my life got a lot worse before it got better. I got depressed because my whole identity was this job. I went into tens and thousands of dollars worth of debt. I was estranged from my family. I got diagnosed with an undiagnosable autoimmune disorder. And then I got dumped six months before my wedding. So yeah, it was, it was a good time. (laughs) Man. Okay. You said something earlier that was so, it like stopped me in my train of thought. And I, 
kind of depressed me a little bit because I was like, is this, could this be true of me or a lot of people who I see as quote unquote successful, quote unquote ambitious is that you said that insecurity fuels a lot of that or can be the cause of that, the root cause of it. That's really upsetting to me. Is that really what you find over and over again in your practice? I do. I, in expectation hangover, I wrote about these things called compensatory strategies. And they're a little different than defense mechanisms in that anytime we feel less than in, in some way, we f- have to find a way to feel more than. So for me, I was teased and bullied. I didn't feel like I was liked. I didn't feel like I belonged. And I compensated by being a massive overachiever. But underneath that was insecurity. So I find with most people, they have some insecurity or some I don't feel good enough or some misbelief that something's wrong with me. And they compensate by being extremely driven or maybe being a people pleaser or incredibly controlling or even a caretaker rescuer or a performer you know, just kind of like, I'll just make everybody laugh. And I, I find in my practice that these things are very effective on the external goal line, but they're not fulfilling on the soul line. So a lot of highly successful people that I've worked with get that way because they're incredibly hard on themselves. Self-criticism is motivating. It gets us to do things and it creates results. So then it becomes kind of addictive and people think that they have to keep being hard on themselves to push themselves forward. And it can be so subtle that a lot of times people don't realize how negative their relationship with themselves is. So we all have to be aware of our degree of kind of insecurity and, and what we're trying to prove, what we think we need to do to be loved, accepted, successful, et cetera. And also what do we use to drive ourselves? Is it that hard talk kind of motivation where we're hard on ourselves, or do we talk to ourselves in positive ways and, and move forward because we're inspired and not because we're trying to compensate for something? And are we talking to ourselves to begin with? Like, I don't think I have conversations with myself and maybe I do and they're subconscious. And I wonder what that tone is. (laughs) I'm going to go check myself. Yeah. Take a little listen. Hmm. I mean, it makes sense, right? I mean, I think even growing up, I was bullied and I was different. My name was Farnoosh. God help me. I mean, growing up in a (laughs) predominantly white Irish Catholic neighborhood in Massachusetts. And I was totally the ugly duckling. Like I had a unibrow. I was like, I was a, no, it was not working out for me from like pretty much pre-adolescence to about 14. And um, I hear yeah. Maybe that was my my crutch was working really hard and getting those A's, and it just stuck. Yeah, but it, you know what? And I'm it's thankful not a bad for thing. it. No, I'm like you know yes. what? It worked out. <laughs> yes, it's not about, and I can relate to that. My nickname was Monkey Girl because my arms and my legs grew before the rest Aww. of my body. You know, boys only talked to me if they could cheat off my math paper. So I get that, and right. and in a way, it is great. Like. Thank goodness we did. We became overachievers rather than resorting to drinking or drugs exactly. or all kind of the other options Goth. that are out there. So I, I'm not saying exactly. Oh gosh, yeah. Well, and these things about you know being driven. I'm not saying they're bad. They get us to a certain point. However, if anyone can relate to that feeling of enough never feels like enough. Like you check something off, but you don't feel totally satisfied and you're always sort of looking for the next thing, then maybe it's just time to consider, am I really hard driving myself? Am I a little bit addicted to achieving or can I really accept where I am, celebrate where I am and not always be looking for that next thing? 
Amen, Christine. P.S. Can people stop asking other people? So what's next for you? Cause it's, uh, you know, that it's part of our dialogue. It's part of, especially you live in New York. How many times a week I get asked that question? So Farnoosh, what's the end game for you? What's next? Are you working on another book? I'm like, no, people. Can we just enjoy <laughs> the fact that I've had a really busy year? And if that's not enough for you, I guess I'll go make an, an online course then. <laughs> you know, like- oh my gosh. I so, you are speaking my language. I, we do not celebrate enough in this culture. We really do not celebrate what we are doing right now. And I, I, busyness has become this badge of honor and we've become these human, human doings rather than human beings. And this expectation, especially if you are someone like you who has created a lot of things and are successful, it's like, people almost project that expectation onto you. And it's like, wait, wait, wait a second. Let me just acknowledge where I am. And if I never do another thing, I've done enough, you know, and this needing to drive and do, and I don't just think it's in the big cities. I think it's pervasive because of the internet, because of social media and everybody putting their highlight reel on Facebook and Instagram and everything else that's out there is everybody feels like they're not doing enough. They don't have enough. They're not skinny enough. They're not doing enough. They don't have enough money. We live in a very not enoughness culture instead of a culture of gratitude and abundance. So after you left the agenting world and Hollywood. And you said you were on the brink of, well, maybe you were depressed and you had a breakup. You were in debt. What got you out of that? It was a moment on my bathroom floor and I was contemplating whether or not I wanted to be here anymore. I mean, I was so depressed. I was suicidal and not in the sense that I attempted it, but just that I had thoughts about it, which is scary when you get to that place. Um, And I realized people have been through darker moments than, than that. Um, but for me, this was my (laughs) dark night of the soul quarter life crisis. And I had a moment of grace basically where everything I was looking for on the outside, a feeling of love, peace, compassion, acceptance, it just washed over me. And I felt a feeling that I probably hadn't felt since I was young of love. And it was a wake up and a, aha of, wait a second, everything I was looking for on the outside is within me. And I got on my knees and I wasn't particularly spiritual at the time, but I had been an agent. So I knew how to make deals. And I made a deal with whatever God I believed in then and said, if I figure my way out of this, I will dedicate the rest of my life to helping other people. And that was my turning point. And about the next, sometime that week, I don't know if it was the next day or next couple of days, the idea and the words for my first book just were there. And that's how it all began. Accountability is what it was. Yes. And first you have to work on yourself. I think a lot of people try to skip right to the purpose without healing what they need to heal. So before, you know, I wrote that book for me, most of all, like I had to look inside and be like, what, how did I get to this place? Because I could either be a victim in that situation and be like, oh, poor me, all this stuff happened to me. Or I could look at, I'm the common denominator in all these situations. How did I create this? So it started with me. The purpose really started with me because the the deal that I made is if I figure my way through this, then I will dedicate my life to helping others. So first I had to figure my own way through it. And what I learned is that the original definition of the word passion is actually suffering. 
Passion of the Christ. That's where the word comes from. And over time, we've evolved that word to mean what we love. And so I think for a lot of us, when we're thinking about a purpose greater than ourselves, so much of the time it comes from our suffering. Like our purpose here, our work here often comes from what we struggled with most because that's where we learn, that's where we grow, and that's where we have the most quote unquote passion to go teach and serve and share with others. How did you learn all of this after you realized you wanted to serve others? What was your next step? Did you go to school? Did you move? I did a lot. (laughs) No, I stayed in LA. I'm still in LA. Uh, I stayed in LA. I had amazing teachers. One of my teachers named Mona was a coach and a spiritual teacher. I did everything from Landmark Forum to Tony Robbins to Insight. I went back uh, a few years later, maybe four years later, and got a master's degree in spiritual psychology and then got another master's degree in in consciousness, health, and healing. I got trained as a hypnotherapist. I got NLP certified. So, And then on my own, I went to all kinds of retreats and did all kinds of crazy work from, you know, going on retreats in nature and screaming in the forest to uh, the more intellectual stuff, like I mentioned, like Landmark. So I became a connoisseur of personal growth. And that's how I really started to not only navigate my own life better, but be able to serve others. Your podcast is called Over It and On With It. And what's unique about this show is that while this show is recorded, your show is live and you're helping people people live on the air. So how do you do that? I mean, yes, you have all these certifications, experience, but there's something about the live element of helping someone. Like, have you ever had someone come on your show and you're like, I just can't help you? Not, no. Where do you where do you begin <laughs> with everybody? I, I live Honestly, well, I've been doing this 12 years, so it definitely is something that I've had a lot of practice in. Um I begin with just listening. The moment I think that I have them figured out or the moment I'm thinking of what I'm going to say when they're talking, it's over. Really, being a coach and just being a good human being and having authentic communication and effective communication, it just comes down to listening. Most of us just aren't great listeners. We're thinking about what we're going to say next or our mind is wandering or whatever. So for me, it's, it's really listening and, and getting out of the way. I mean, I, I'm a spiritual person. I have a deep spiritual practice and I believe that spirit, God, whatever we want to call it, the universe works through me in a lot of ways. So my biggest job is to get out of the way and let the work do the work. And if I listen and show up with, with no judgment. That's the other thing. So listening is number one and not judging in any way, shape or form the person that's calling in either, either judging them in a critical sense or judging them by having sympathy or feeling bad for them in any way or thinking their problem is just so horrific. And that showing up with that intention and that emptiness really creates a space for magic to happen. Need a website? Why not do it yourself with Wix.com? No matter what business you're in, Wix.com has something for you. Used by more than 84 million people worldwide, Wix.com makes it easy to get your website live today. You need to get the word out about your business. It all starts with a stunning website with hundreds of designer-made customizable templates to choose from. The drag and drop editor. There's no coding needed. You don't need to be a programmer or designer to create something beautiful. You can do it yourself with Wix.com. Wix.com empowers business owners to create their own professional websites every day. When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy. 
too busy, too busy worrying about your budget, too busy scheduling appointments, too busy to build a website for your business. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix.com, it's easy and free. Go to Wix.com to create your website today. The result is stunning. My brother is 25 and he's told me, and and similarly, his peers experience this as well. And I I want to say it's a millennial thing, but I'm not sure. And I'm curious to hear your perspective that a lot of young people today who grew up with parents who coddled them where they got um, a trophy just for participating, everybody came in first place, there were no losers. And in my my family, my parents were extremely supportive. I think more even with my brother because my mom has it in her head that men need more <laughs> like <laughs> support and ego stroking than women because women just know and they're more confident. And she overcompensated, I think, for my brother, not because he needed it, but just because she's like in her mind, she thought that was the difference between men and women. Welcome to my world. Um, <laughs> just a little snapshot of my childhood. Um, Farnoosh fending for herself, Todd getting all the, the fruits. Mm. Of- no, but you know, it all, it made us who we are. And now it, absolutely. Forward 20 years, my brother is very successful, but he's even said like, there is this emptiness. There's this feeling of like not being fulfilled and doing all the right things that you were supposed to do, going to school, getting your degree, getting the job. Uh, on paper, everything looks great, but you feel lost. You feel like there was, there's more, there should be more to life. And I don't know if it's again, just a phase because everybody kind of goes through that in their quarter life crisis, or is it specific to this generation because of the way that we were raised? I think it's both. I think it's something that everybody goes through at one time in their life. I think it's happening earlier. You know, there used to be more emphasis on the midlife crisis. We don't hear about that as much anymore as we do the quarter life crisis. And I think part of the reason this generation is experiencing it more is because of the massive expectation that, that we grew up around. I mean, we, the world was more of our oyster than ever before. So there's this sense of if you don't have this big, amazing life, then it's not enough in some way where in generations in the past, things were a lot simpler. We didn't have the kind of massive, glorious, grandiose expectations that a lot of people have now because things were a lot simpler. So I think it's the result of, yes, this generation and also just, especially in our 20s, we haven't, some people have, but we haven't really gone through extreme struggle. And I don't think that... um well, this isn't, this isn't, I'm generalizing. This doesn't apply to everyone. But for most people, usually you have to have some kind of expectation hangover, some kind of suffering, some kind of wake up moment where you pivot a little bit and you start to realize that you're responsible for your own fulfillment instead of expecting something outside of you to do it for you. So until we start having those kind of moments, I think there is a feeling like, well, nothing's really terribly wrong, but nothing feels really right either. Struggle is good, man. Struggle it is. is important. Ad- some might call it adversity. You know, Lewis Howes, you've been on his show and he's been on this yep. show. I gravitate towards people like you and him because I think you speak such words of truth. And like I even wrote, I've written down so many things already, Christine. I've written down human doings, not human beings, addicted to accomplishment, being a good listener. Do you think that it is possible to f- be fulfilled if you grew up with a life of prosperity and everything was handed to you? And look at, for example... Okay, say what you will about Donald Trump. 
Ivanka, his daughter, I think is a great mm-hmm. reminder of what you can do when you are born in a life of privilege and resources. Yep. She's got her own company. She'll probably inherit her father's businesses. She has her own brand, her own voice, her own identity. I really admire her for that. Whereas she could have gone the complete opposite. She could have been a Paris Hilton who also made money, but I don't think the woman's fulfilled. I'm just guessing. Analyze that for me a little bit because there's obviously a decision that was made at some point. And why is it that one person decides to go one direction and another the other? Well, one, I think a lot has to do with how um, they're parented. I've heard some interviews with with Ivanka and um, her brother, I can't remember his name, about how their dad would sit around with them and talk about like what they're going to be grateful for today, what they're going to learn today. They were, they were parented in a way where they were given a lot of responsibility and were asked to think about what they wanted to do with money and how they wanted to help and businesses. And it had like a business mind that was something that was cultivated at a young age. So I think that if we come from privilege, it's more of what do we do with it? Someone like Ivanka, for using that archetype, she's using it in a way to serve. She's employing people. She has her charity that she's involved with. She's fulfilled. She's taking the money and not just indulging in it. She's right. utilizing it. And she's got a purpose. She has this nice things, thing. I will say. She's a beautiful. She, well, yes. And <laughs> we're allowed. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, it's great. I would too. I that's one of the great things about money. Like, you, you know, we're here to enjoy. So enjoy. But she's got purpose. And, and if you've got privilege, but you've got no purpose, then you're, you know, it's like straight train express to rehab or something like yeah. that, because or sex there's tape. no, yeah. exactly, exactly. So there, cause you're just kind of throwing <laughs> money around. It's not directional, but if you've got that purpose and that mission, then you don't have to have a sex yeah. tape. Eh? Well, and what really bothers me though, is that our culture doesn't care about purpose because of Instagram and Twitter and the Kardashians, you can just be all about privilege and not give back a dime and not give back your time. You're just there to be put on a pedestal and people throw money at you. And and I know yep. that, you know, at the end of the day, those subjects, will they say that they lived a fulfilled life? Maybe not. But in, but meanwhile, everyone else is observing that and not everybody. I mean, I think we get it. But the younger people who are much more impressionable look at that and go, that's ideal. That's the life. Yeah. That's dangerous. Yeah. It is dangerous. And, and it's like one in four, closer to one in three now graduating seniors say they want to be famous. So there's a huge kind of cultural thing happening right now where we think that the be all and end all is to, to have a lot of fame. And, and you can get famous by having a sex tape. I mean, you don't really have to do anything that impressive to be famous. So we're in kind of a dangerous time right now in terms of what is rewarded, quote unquote, and what people throw money at. And I'm optimistic that it is starting to shift. One thing, the millennial generation gets a bad rap, you know, the whole like show up, get a trophy, blah, blah, blah. I think millennials are awesome. I'm on like the end of the millennial spectrum. And I have to say, yes, there's narcissistic entitled millennials, but there's narcissistic entitled people of any age. Yeah. Yeah. And so what, but what I really think is unique about the millennial generation is the emphasis that they place on social good and impact and change and making a difference. So I do think it's shifting. I'm, I, I do think that people are starting to 
want and demand more substance. So yes, the noise is out there and it probably always will be to some extent, but I love that we're seeing causes and people making great impact also having a huge platform. I I agree with you. I, I, it can't happen sooner enough for me. You know, yes. I, I want this day to come yesterday. Me too. Uh, <laughs> Christine, this is a financial show. I mean, I could talk to you for another hour about all your work in um, coaching and life coaching, but as it's a financial show, we'd love to hear from you as far as what is your money mantra? You know, amidst all of this, what mm-hmm. sort of framework do you have for your money? Well, my, I would say the where it starts is that I am my own best investment. The biggest ROI I've ever gotten is when I invest in myself. So my that that's always kind of driven how I've run my business, how I make choices. Because when I'm investing in my own growth, my own self-care, I'm able to make more money and then I'm able to invest in my business and the causes that I really support. So I think a lot of what I worked on in my personal development is self-worth, right? I felt like I had something to prove I wasn't enough. And so, so much of my journey was feeling worthy again and dealing with that insecurity and knowing that I'm enough just the way I am. And that had a very direct impact on my money. I think that self-worth correlates to net worth a lot. So the more I invest in myself, both financially and in my own self-care and knowing that I'm worthy and enough, the more I see that reflect in my finances. Tell me, Christine, about childhood a little bit. What would you say was the greatest money memory you had as a kid growing up? Mm. Well, I remember I always loved to play real life things growing up. Like I like to play store and bank and things like that. And I remember in elementary school, we had this mock city and you had, you you got to play different roles. Sometimes you were the customer, sometimes you were the store owner. And I loved being the store owner way more than I loved being the shopper. (laughs) Because I loved selling things, right? And I loved that exchange and the transaction. So I have these early money memories of like the way money works and the giving and the receiving. And I I love that. I love playing bank and having fake deposits and all these kind of things. So I actually had a, a good memory about the way money kind of moves around. And I really think that impacted me in the sense of knowing that it's a balance of of the spending and the earning. So because of that, I was always really good with budgeting. Well, until I had my whole quarter life crisis and that, you know, that it kind of went out the window for a while. How did but you get though, into that? Was, that was a... Oh, that's an easy answer. So as an agent, I had a great salary and an expense account and bonuses. And then when I quit, I was trying to make money as a personal trainer and keep up the facade that I still had money. And so I was basically spending money I didn't have. Yeah. And LA is an easy city to rack up debt in. And it was good because like, since I've had debt, I understand how it works and I can help people through it. So I'm glad that I had it because it was a very humbling wake up experience for me. Um, and it, it, I had to go a level deeper in terms of really understanding how money worked because until then, since I, you know, had a job so early and was making money early, I didn't really understand how money worked, how to invest, how to really save, how, how to budget like a grown-up lifestyle. Those were all things I had to learn because of the debt. How did you get out of the debt? Saving, working, understanding credit and moving it around, putting myself on a payment plan, changing my lifestyle. Uh, that's how I did it. All of the above. And how long did it take you to get out of debt? And how much of it, how much was there of debt? It was 
like around 50 grand. It wasn't terrible, but it was a lot for me. And it took me about, I'd say between two and three years. What would you say was your so money moment? Mm. Well, I can. I, I would love to share the story about how I got the biggest paycheck yes. of my life yes. to that Let's point. Let's do that. I like that story already. So I, um, a big financial institution had reached out to me. They were looking for a spokesperson and they interviewed me and they were like, well, you're great, but you're not famous enough. Um, but we're going to consider you and we'll let you know on Monday. We're sending out a survey to a bunch of millennials. And once we get the results from that survey, we'll come back to you. And I've always had a service mindset. And luckily, I worked through a lot of my rejection issues from childhood. So when I heard they weren't going to hire me, I didn't get all upset. I just back to listening. I really listened to what they said. So once I heard we're sending out a survey to a bunch of millennials, I was like, ding, 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 because I was an expert on that. And I said, well, how old are the people that are writing the survey? And they said, oh, it's this big research firm, you know, their 40s and 50s. And again, ding, ding, ding. I knew that people in their 40s and 50s were not asking millennials the right questions. And I said, well, could I take a look at the survey? I won't charge you anything. I just would love to help you out here. If you send it to me, I'll sign an NDA, whatever. So they're like, oh, okay. So they send me the survey and I look at it and I rewrote the whole thing in ways that I knew millennials would answer so they could get the right questions, so on and so forth. And I send it back to them in just this little word document. And the next day they call and say, can you get on a plane to New York tomorrow? We want you as our spokesperson and we want you to speak to our entire marketing and HR department. Oh my gosh. And it led to this huge deal, the biggest paycheck of my life up until that point. And it really came from just wanting to help. And that was huge for me in terms of a money, a so money moment, because I really realized, wow, helping people and showing up with integrity and not always looking for the deal really can lead to a very lucrative lifestyle and business. How do those 40 and 50 year olds feel about you rewriting all their work? I think that's brilliant, by the way. They probably weren't so happy with it, though. Well, I don't know. It was some research company they hired, so I don't even know. They didn't get the job. (laughs) (laughs) Go you. That's amazing. Number one money habit, Christine. Gratitude. Really, that's gratitude. Every time I get a check, every time I make a deposit, I am grateful for it. And and also every night I write down just things throughout the day I'm grateful for. Because, you know, for me, my money practice is living in a mindset of prosperity and abundance. So I don't just look for prosperity in terms of money. I look for prosperity in terms of like, like you'll go on my gratitude list tonight, this conversation, this call, this connection. And that mindset and that practice, I think, has contributed not just to my overall um, financial portfolio, but just to my level of happiness and well-being. And I honestly think when we're happy and we feel grateful, it's easier to make money. Well, yeah, it's the mind. And thank you. I'm so glad to be having pillow talk with you tonight on your <laughs> pen and paper. And I will do the same. And I think what what really... Why it works is that mindfulness and honestly, as human beings, we tend to hold on to and recall the more painful experiences in life, even though there may be fewer of them. And it's so important to to remember the good times. And especially for people that are struggling financially, if your mindset is so much on debt, debt and what I don't have and I don't have enough money, it's it's you're broadcasting lack and not enoughness. And it just attracts more in the, of that. And, you know, that's something that was a, a big part of my development in my 20s and my financial education is reading things like the science of getting rich and thinking grow rich and those kind of things and looking at how my belief system impact my money mindset. And then also, you know, the other thing I do is I, 
I talk to people that are much smarter than me about money. You know, I have a financial planner, I have an accountant, and I really had to get over to feeling stupid sometimes. Like I, sometimes I felt like my questions were dumb. And so I, I would just kind of not know. And that's the other thing that is a money practice. I ask questions. I ask a lot of questions. I bought my first real estate property this year and I had a huge learning curve and I didn't try to do it all on my own. I, I asked questions. So I think that's an important thing is to be willing to ask those questions when they think are quote unquote stupid to have experts around us that know more than we do and, and make sure that we're smart about money because we're talking to smart people. Christine, you've been such a wonderful guest. I feel like you're sitting right next to me and we're talking all about, and these are like serious concepts here. You know, you make it seems so approachable and tangible, things like fulfillment and gratitude and how to become a human being and not just a human doing. <laughs> mm. <laughs> My gosh, I feel that way sometimes. And I don't mean to joke about it or laugh about it, but the way that you characterize things really brings them to life. Mm. I'm really well, able thank to you. understand some of my issues. Thank you. <laughs> I've had a therapy oh, session. What? <laughs> I've literally just well, had you're a therapy not alone. session. I'm not alone. alone in the human doing thing. That's for sure. Congratulations on your latest book coming out in paperback. And I want to uh, remind everyone to go get that. It's called Ed- Expectation Hangover, Overcoming Disappointment in Work, Love and Life. And your podcast, live podcast. Yes. People have told you this has also been a therapy. They've skipped therapy. They've saved thousands of dollars a year on therapy just to listen to your podcast. Um, and so we encourage everybody to go and check that out. And that one is called Over It and On With It. Thank you so much, Christine. I hope you have a so money rest of your day. Thank you so much. It was great to be here with you. That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Christine, and I think you might, her website is christinehassler.com. She's also on Twitter at Kristen Hassler with no E, Kristen Hassler, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N, Hassler. All this information, including the transcript, audio, and comments from this episode and all previous episodes at somoneypodcast.com. And while you're there, click on Ask Farnoosh and let me know what's on your money mind. And I'll be sure to add it to the queue for the Friday episodes of Ask Farnoosh. Thanks so much for tuning in and hope your day is so money. So money.